Hello, I am Frank Blackburn. My name is Peter McKenna. Hello, my name is Gail Goldine. And this is Frank Garza. Frank, Peter, and Gail were all living in San Francisco during the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. Today you'll hear their stories on San Francisco People. I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to San Francisco People. Now, I want you to picture one of these special Indian summer days that we have in San Francisco. One of these days in mid to late September or October when the weather's 80 to 85 degrees, you know, you're walking around the streets in short sleeves and feeling great, and it feels like everybody else in the neighborhood is out on the streets walking around as well, and there's just this special buzz and energy going on um, that always happens on days like that. But then um, picture what it's like when there's some big event happening on one of those days. You know, the Blue Angels flying during Fleet Week or the Giants in a playoff game or the 49ers in a big game on Sunday. It takes that already great energy and buzz and just takes it up even one more level. I love days like that in San Francisco. And I want you to picture the last time you can think about yourself in one of those days. Because that's the type of day it was on October 17th, 1989 in the city. And the special event that day was Game 3 of the World Series. It was the Battle of the Bay World Series between the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants. And it was moments away from first pitch at Candlestick Park. But then... At 5.04 p.m., everything changed. A 7.1 magnitude earthquake struck with its epicenter near Loma Prieta Peak in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is only about 75 miles south of San Francisco. That earthquake killed 63 people, and 11 of those were in San Francisco. The biggest damage in San Francisco was in the Marina District, where a number of buildings collapsed and several large fires had broken out. Now, I had heard that there was a lot of damage in the marina that day. You know, I had heard bits and pieces of the stories. But until digging in to this story, I, I didn't realize just how close we were to losing the entire marina that day. You see, there was this block fire that had broken out at the corner of Divisadero and Beach Street. And because of some broken firewater mains, there was no firewater available to put it out. And the fire department, they feared the worst. Um, they thought the fire could spread throughout the neighborhood and potentially burn down the entire marina. But then the Phoenix Fireboat and a new portable firewater system that had just been designed and put in place, um, those came in and saved the day. And, and we have three guests on today's show that are going to tell this story. Peter McKenna is a writer, and he was living in Coal Valley at the time of the earthquake. Gail Golding, she's a longtime marina resident, and she was in the marina that day when the earthquake happened. Frank Blackburn, he was an assistant fire chief for the San Francisco Fire Department at the time of the earthquake, and he's the one that designed that portable firewater system that ultimately saved the day. So let's start with Peter. Peter was about to tune in to the World Series at his apartment in Coal Valley. 
I lived in a three-story apartment building on the top flat with two other guys, Thomas and LaRobert. And uh, they were both out. I, they were cab drivers. Yeah, I guess they were working their shift. And, um, well, let's see. I just turned on the TV to watch the game, the series. Yeah. And it was, uh, I guess, with an old Zenith or General Electric. They took a while to warm up. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it never got th- it never got there. You know, suddenly there was this sort of shooky, 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 shooky. Well, okay, feel these now. Hell, I think I felt one yesterday morning, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Yeah, a little tremor. So, yeah, you get them. But this one increased, increased, increased. And then you started hearing it, you know. And that was like... Like a freight train. I think most people say it was like a freight train yeah. in a tunnel. And then, and then the thing place starts really going this way and that. I, this this is the real shit. Yeah. And I, and I did what you're supposed to do. I got in the, at the doorway, braced in the doorway. Yeah. And we went this way and that way. And I, well, I, I, things started going off the glasses and stuff. And bottles started going off the shelf in the kitchen and so on. And uh, how long did it last? It was really 20 seconds. Yeah. You know, but then it was over. <laughs> Woo! Wow! Yeah. And there was a few broken glasses in the, uh, and a few pictures, frames came off the wall, but no real damage. And, and, and the school behind me, there's an elementary school, the Grattan School, and there's, you know, some after-school recreation uh, activity there and all that. Anyway, the kids were going, jumping up and down. <laughs> do it again, do they're, it again. They were excited. <laughs> they, they were outdoors, I guess, which is probably a better place to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was like, you know, the earth is bouncing. Yeah, yeah. Bouncy earth. Did you, uh, so, I mean, you you felt that it was different, right? Well, like I mean, a lot I more never, intense yeah, than I mean, a normal it, earthquake. It, it was the tremor a, you yeah, felt. I, I, did it scare you? I mean, were you oh, like, sure. were you fearing for oh, your sure. like life? Was, was it that type I, of fear? For, yeah, for a minute there, I thought, well... <laughs> You know, people die in earthquakes. You know, I mean, how solid is this building? Uh, I mean, construction is better in San Francisco than it is in all those, you know, third world countries where the whole, you know, multi-story buildings collapse and bury everybody. But, you know, the, the thought occurred to me. Right. Um, was it hard to stand up? Was it shaking no, that bad? No, I, I, I remained vertical, bracing myself. Yeah. If I was standing, I don't know, uh, without support. Uh, yeah, but uh, sure. Yeah. I was scared, and there was, you know, um, what is it? Intimations of mortality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but once it was over, I, I just said, wow. I mean, it was more impressive than anything else. And then, as I say, the kids seemed to be delighted. And then the phone rang, and it was my girlfriend, Laura. Yeah. And I don't even know, didn't even know. I figured it would be her, but I wouldn't know. And the phone was still working. Some some people's weren't. And I picked it up, and I didn't even say hello. I said, wasn't that a doozy? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, can you come over here? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you went out to the street after that? Yeah, so I went out, checked the damage. Well, and... And so your place wasn't, uh, other than no, stuff off the walls, no, there's no, no, no. We lost power, of course. Uh, phone still worked. Um, I didn't smell gas or anything like that. I went downstairs. I think I, one of my neighbors was on a ladder. He'd been doing something, painting or whatever. And he said, boy, that was close. Because he'd been on the oh, ladder yeah. when it hit. Wow. Um, so I went, walked down Cole Street just to, you know, observe and, and all that and you know bricks had shook let loose from a lot of buildings uh in the corner of coal and uh coal and parnassus um 
Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of cars at the curb that just had been crushed by bricks. Mm. And the thing I do remember was walking by the grocery store and the liquor store where all the bottles had took off the, s- the shelf. And you could, boy, you could get high. You could get drunk oh. on the fumes. Yeah. You know, um, uh, there weren't any injuries in the hood, as far as I know. I, there didn't see any ambulance. Most everybody was just sort of in awe. Yeah. Was you know? it chaotic and, at all? Hmm? Was it chaotic in the streets, or everyone Not was just really. out there Things checking were out? Early. People were, as I say, people were neighborly about it. I mean, people were all changing their little. What? How'd you survive? How'd you do? How are you? I'm fine. Um, yeah. No, no, no injuries. I don't remember any ambulances showing up or even fire engines. And uh, the hardware store, Cole Hardware, um, people were lined up to buy all the earthquake supplies you're supposed to have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the batteries and the flashlights and everything. Yeah. Uh, but the hey, the sign out said, uh, "Let us clean up, and then we'll be open for you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let us clean up our own damage, and then we'll be ready for you. Uh, the liquor store guy, I just said, "You got insurance?" Yeah, I got insurance. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the the Finnegan's Wake bar was open though, with no cash register working, so they were just scrolling everything. The old fashioned way, huh? Giving everybody a free beer, but uh, you know. Yeah, you think I, if there's I, ever a time for a free drink, that yeah, day, yeah, yeah. Huh? Well, I, I think I, I had a shot of something. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, I don't remember anybody being in real fear or panic, but you know, as I say, we weren't in the places where it hit worse, like right. here where the fire was, or on the freeway, the Cypress Freeway, or the bridge, the Bay Bridge. Right. Uh, my sister was at Candlestick that day, um, oh. and she's often described it as just. You know, everybody just, nobody said a word, you know. I mean, and if you're sitting under the overhang. Oh, yeah. And then it stopped and everything was intact. Yeah. And and there was just one collective 50,000 people just going, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did they, um, like, how long did she stay in the stadium? Were they able to evacuate? Well, quick? they evacuated, of course, and... Uh, I believe it was orderly enough. I mean, people were kind of, I'm sure they were anxious to get out there, but no panic, nobody, nobody stepping over each other. And she got on one of the candlestick special muni buses and it took her all the way back to the Richmond where she mm. lived. And she said, you know, that driver deserves muni man of the month. You know, I mean, yeah. he, he kept his nerve and got everybody back to their neighborhood, negotiated through the streets, you know, took back side streets and right. residential streets, got everybody back to their hood, even stopped a couple of times because people had to pee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then I thought, I came back home, and the phone rang again. She said, will you get over here, please? I'm getting scared. And I said, yes, dear, yes, dear. So anyway, I got on the bike, and I couldn't resist. I rode up to Twin Peaks to watch the sunset, and... Uh, a lot of folks were there just watching it all and uh, you know, a little bit of a party atmosphere, but then the sun went down and the city was dark except for all the lights on Market Street of the car, cars you know, just crawling along on Market Street. Just ribbons yeah. of light here and over and here in the marina. You could just actually see the, the, orange, yeah, uh, yeah. the orange flames. That's one of the things I liked from your story was um, 
when you're up at Twin Peaks, mm. kind of looking down, that's when you could really see the marina for the first time. Oh, all yes, the smoke, yes. all the fire, and like the Goodyear blimp, like overhead. Oh, that's right, that blimp going boom, boom, with a yeah. little, uh, let's go Giants, or whatever yeah. it said on it. Or and It almost looked like the blimp was, was bombing the marina. Yeah, that's what, I think somebody <laughs> said that, hey, the Goodyear blimp's bombing the marina. How about yeah. that? Um, Is that... Um, and that, that's when I saw the fire and all that yeah. stuff, and I said, wait a minute, some people are, are suffering. You know, I didn't know yet about the bridge or the Cypress Freeway. Yeah, was that the first time you thought, okay, this is a really big deal? Well, I or thought it was a big deal from that? the start, but yeah. I thought, you know, this isn't this isn't just some, you know, cool experience. Somebody's losing their property, and probably people have lost. Some people have lost their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Those fires that Peter saw from the top of Twin Peaks were in the Marina District. And that's where Gail Goldine has been living for the last 35 years. She was with her family at home when the ground started shaking. Our son, who was a freshman in high school, played baseball and was a big baseball fan. And as you know, it was the World Series between the Giants and the A's, the Battle of the of the bay right and i had got pizza and had made a salad and we have had a little television in the kitchen and the idea is that we were going to have an early dinner at five o'clock watch the beginning of the game and then go upstairs to where the big tv was right and uh, my daughter uh, was uh, she, both my kids went to urban high school and she was on the volleyball team and they had a they had a game at lick wilmerdine lick is about as far away from the marina as you can get and still be in San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, she was at the game. So she was supposed to get a ride back with a friend who lived in the marina, um, and she would join us for dinner whenever she got home. So the pizza was in the oven. It was about three-quarters cooked, and the table was set, and my husband and my son were in the, in the, in the breakfast room, and the TV was on, and... All of a sudden, the earthquake happened, and um, it started with, like most earthquakes that I've been through, with a slow shaking, and, you know, what what I usually do is I stop what I'm doing, and I sort of gather my senses and think, oh, okay, it's an earthquake, and just stay where I am and wait for it to stop, only this time it got worse and stronger and we all looked at each other and without saying a word got up and each went under a different door jam and it was like oh my god this is not like anything i've ever experienced in my entire life and i've been through a lot of small or medium earthquakes right and um i was facing the dining room which is adjacent to the breakfast room and this we have a chandelier and it went swinging full arc 180 degrees from one end to the other it didn't fall down but it you know just to show you that the movement was pretty dramatic yeah and then i don't know how much time passed but when we finally realized the earthquake was over um i don't remember what we would have said to each other or how it was but we went around the house to see what the damage might have been also what happened the minute the earthquake started was the tv there was a big pop and it, it died hmm. because of the the all the electricity went out the oven stopped and actually had a clock that said 504 and i it was a uh, clock that has those numbers that go around right. and i saved it when i got a new oven later on yeah because it was set right at the correct time and 
we walked around the house and it was amazing that we didn't have a lot of damage to the house. Not a lot of things fell out, uh, but we had a lot of parrots. We had three or four parrots. And at that time, the style for the cages were these pedestals with a long uh, base, long right. tube base. And every one of them fell over. Then hmm. uh, the birds were fine because they could fly and they were scared, but they were fine. So we righted the, the cages and immediately we smelled gas in the house. Mm. And that was very scary and troublesome. And, uh, but everything else seemed okay. There were a few beams in the garage that were off kilter. Um, it turned out later that it was not structural, but we, I didn't know. And, but the house seemed okay. Uh, so what, at a certain point after that, shortly after that, um, we, we opened the door to see what was going on outside. And this, the walkway to our, to our front door was upheaved into a V shape, hmm. really high. You were like concrete. Yeah. Just, wow. And the, uh, the street, we live on Marina Boulevard, the street was all cracked, hmm. and the marina green was gray with seashells coming up. Oh, and wow. That's liquefaction, which I didn't know anything about at the mm-hmm. time. But when you're on landfill, as we are, I, I don't know if you know the history of the marina, yeah. but it was built uh, for the Pan Pacific Exposition, which was 1915, yeah. and it was built on Bayfield. So that, that, that kind of land is less stable. Yeah, that's interesting. I never heard that about Marina Green, that it had changed color because of all of the... So what is that, like seashells coming up from the ground? And gray from the... From the from all the landfill underneath that just kind of works its way up to the surface with yes, all the shaking and, covered, and the cracks? Covered up the green. Wow. So when we walked outside, we smelled gas even stronger than we smelt it in our house. My husband turned off the gas line to our house. I didn't even know we had a gas line that could be turned off. I knew nothing. And it, it, it never occurred to me that one should know these things. And, um, and then he heard a neighbor screaming two doors down, a young girl who lived in her, her grandmother's house that she'd inherited. She was in her early 20s. The gate, she had a front door that was fine, but then between the front door and the gate, the gate had become off off kilter and she couldn't get out. Mm. She was locked in. So he went back in our house, got a crowbar and jimmied it so that she could get out. And then the two Italian widows on either side of us uh, didn't know how to turn off their gas and he he went into their basements and turned their gas off as well. Okay. So I know you said when you were going through it, you realized, okay, this is different than anyone I've felt before. It was more intense. Was it the was it to the point where you had fear? Oh yes. Yeah. And didn't know what to do. And, and all the other neighbors came out of the house. And my husband said to me, "You stay here. I'm going to go around the block and see what's going on." And he went around the block to Fillmore, and he saw two Cervantes, which had collapsed. Mm-hmm. And he saw in the distance smoke for, from the Visadero, where the fire was. That smoke was coming from a large block fire at Divisadero and Beach Street. And as the fire continued to grow, there was no fire water to put it out. Cracked fire water piping from the earthquake had left the normal supply system inoperable. Frank Blackburn was an assistant fire chief for the San Francisco Fire Department at the time of the earthquake. 
He takes us through the dire situation that was happening only a few blocks away from Gale. The major fire, which was in the, in the marina district at the Visadero in Beach, the, um, uh, we had a square block fire burning, and the danger there was that we didn't stop that fire. Uh, our only water supply to stop the fire would be on Van Ness Avenue, which yeah. is about 10 blocks to the east. Because that, the Van Ness Avenue, we have a, a series of sister underground tanks called cisterns, mm -hmm. 75,000 gallons each that go every three blocks from Bay Street to Market Street. And the assistant chief, his name is Harry Brophy, when he went and he assessed the scene down there at, at the beach in uh, the Visadero, when he first arrived, he said, uh, without any water supplies, he says, our, our, our next move will be to set up on Van Ness Avenue because the fire will burn that far, but we can stop it at Van Ness Avenue. But he had called for the portable water system and the fire boat, and uh, until they arrived, there were two alternatives then, to get the fire boat and the portable water system there so we can set up an above ground water system to stop the fire to that one square block if possible. If that's not available, we're gonna end up setting up on Van Ness Avenue because there's no, no other water available in that whole area. Yeah. Those, that's the consequences of what was facing them at that time. Yeah, so it was bad. I read that the flames were up to 75 feet high in the air. Uh, oh yeah, they're, that they're probably, at least that, yeah, yeah. at least that, yeah. yeah. No, you can see the photographs, of yeah. more than that, you know. And then there was, so it sounds like there was, there was a serious concern from folks in your department that, that we could lose the marina. Correct. The entire marina. That Correct. was, that was a serious concern. There were two, two relieving features that night. Uh, the fire, as, because of an earthquake, uh, the fires are discovered, they're not reported. Mm -hmm. Because the, there's no more, uh, communication facilities fail, telephone systems failed. all happened, it's classic, right out of the textbook. And uh, and then also the fire department itself, all the resources can't go to one fire. And in an earthquake, we have the whole city take. There's a myriad of things going on, and uh, so I have to prioritize. And anyway, the, the chief that went down there saw that he knew what he needed. Uh, he needed water, and the only way we could get water was the portable water system and the fire boat. So, can you explain how this? Uh, portable water supply system works and what the setup is because you you designed this right you were the project manager for it you That's coordinated correct. the whole That's project correct, yes. yeah so I understand the so the Phoenix fireboat pulls up to like basically in where Marina Green is as close as it can get correct and then how does the water get from the fireboat to this apartment building at Divisadero and Beach what's okay. the setup look like taking that particular example um, San Francisco has, uh, is blessed they have two fireboats. They, they bought a second fireboat after this event yeah. because they saw the importance of it. Uh, we have a long water, a water line, a water base. This goes from uh, the Golden Gate all the way to the Daly City. The whole border of the city is a waterfront. So a fireboat is ne really needed for firefighting. But the fireboat is a portable pumping station, if you really think about it. And it can pump massive amounts of water, various pressures, and uh, it can get in pretty close to the shoreline. And like the one, the fireboat Phoenix draws six feet of water, so it needs at least seven feet, which is not a lot. 
and it can, it can get in pretty close to the shoreline when there when there is no uh, pier to tie up to. Yeah. And uh, in this case, there was a pier. They came into the Yacht Harbor, and they were able to come up and tie up to a pier in Yacht Harbor. But if there's no pier, they just drop their anchor, and then the port, and then the five-inch hose is let out to the fireboat, and then they just pump. Mm-hmm. So the fireboat is a portable pumping station, and so when it's dispatched to a particular location, and they can either tie up to a pier or drop their anchor, and they're ready to go. A portable water system, you need a water source, no matter what it is. It can be a bay, a lake, a river, an underground cistern, or swimming pools. An engine company can go to a cistern or any of these water supply, auxiliary water supplies, and the portable above-ground water system essentially lays a pipeline which is large diameter hose above the ground, mm-hmm. and we, we actually make a water, an above ground water system that is necessary to meet the objective necessary. All right. And with the system, the portable water system consists of a hot port, we call it a device called a portable hydrant. And it's really a, uh, it would be a 90 degree cross, and it has a pipeline that uh, you connect up on, like let's say, north and south. It was is the throughway, and then east and west the connection is a cross connection with two big valves. Mm-hmm. So the water supply comes through the, the throughway, and then there are two three and a half inch gate valves that allow you to take water off a portable hydrant or to pump into it. Okay. So you set out hydrants, which are outlets with gates wherever you want them. And it was you said it was designed, you designed it based on. Um, the 1906 earthquake, right? And, and studying the learnings from that and realizing we needed something better. That's absolutely correct. Right. So was it a challenge at all to get um, funding uh, for this project or approval um, for it? I assume you had to you know, run it through the city government to get approved and get the funding. Was that a challenge or were people very supportive and, and behind it the whole, the whole time? You can answer your own question on that one. Uh, <laughs> A challenge is putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, in any in, in any government bureaucracy, the budget is probably bigger than everything all the time. Yeah. And uh, yes, it was. It was quite a challenge. But what we did was we had a chief. His name was Emmett Condon, and and he was on the state seismic safety commission. He totally understood uh, the seriousness of earthquakes, and he totally understood uh, additional needs that we needed. Uh, you know, to be able to fight fires falling an earthquake. So he was totally on board, and I was the person designated to look into this, and essentially he gave me carte blanche to develop something within reason, you know, and come back and let him know and all that was going on. And uh, that's how it started, because without, without that kind of support from the top, uh, nothing would happen. So we developed the portable water system, and then we did a lot of testing, and uh, and then we also had the good fortune to have Diane Feinstein as the mayor. She's extremely well educated. She's an extremely practical woman, and and she understands uh, all of these technical issues as well. And uh, we we ended up with a dramatic meeting in her office, where she brought us in, and it was Dr. Charles Scawthorne. He's an eminent um, seismic engineer he had helped us develop some of these things and myself as i was the proponent of the portable water system and also a bond issue 
And uh, so we had a meeting before the mayor. And at the start of the meeting, we were told, uh, it's been a tough day. Uh, you've got 30 minutes, Max. And so we had our charts and graphs. And as we got into it, and one of the things we explained to the mayor, we showed her, she understood the earthquake risk. She knew that. That's, everybody understands that. But we put it into very clear terms of, and there was several sophisticated reports, one done by Cornell University, that showed the, um, the probable effects of a major earthquake, particularly like the 1989 one, and, sh and showed it specifically what would happen and the cost to the city and the cost and loss of revenue. Uh, for example, you have, you know, let's say that the whole marine district burns down. Mm -hmm. Well, you lose all the tax revenue from all those properties. Now there's just a lot. So they, uh, I mean, this, if, you, if you take a look at 1906, where they lost one half the city burned to the ground, the city had no more income. So, I mean, and, and, and this, in the modern sense, it happened in New Orleans. They had that um, devastating uh, hurricane and white, half, half the population disappeared in New Orleans. They've had to lay off city workers. They had to do all kinds of things. They have no more income yeah. for the property taxes. So, so from a city function, uh, what we look at is taking care of all the, protect the citizens is the number one thing, but number two is to protect the tax base of the city so the city can continue to function after a major disaster. And people hadn't looked at it that way before. Yeah. Insurance industry backs it up. So when you put it into, uh, you know, the life, the, the life safety issue, protection of the property, being able to prevent a conflagration that San Francisco is subject to, if it's not, if there's no remedial effects to, to control it, and so that she understood all of that, and she agreed to everything and gave us the money to proceed. Great. And it was, it was, it was intriguing. Yeah. The thirty minute was interesting. We went in there for 30 minutes and almost three hours later we left. Oh, wow. We left with a, a $50 million bond issue in the portable water system. Wow. And, and, the, the, and a classic comment, one of the deputy chiefs said to me, he says, God almighty, he says, how did you guys do that? He <laughs> said, we go in there, we can't get anything out of her. I just told him, I said, you gotta have a good program. I said, you're graphs. Yeah. We Sounds like you brought your data. Yeah. You brought all your data and supporting evidence you needed. Yeah, but it, yeah. was, what it was a very, it was a really, really, I'll never forget that meeting with, with Mayor Feinstein. And she was our biggest proponent. And then after the fires, everything that was done, and, and you got to hand it to her because she accepted what we were saying. And she accepted that what we, we, we could do, what we said we could do, and save the Marine District, save the Marine District in 1989. Phoenix Fireboat arrived at the shoreline next to Marina Green and pumped 6,000 gallons of bay water per minute into Frank Blackburn's portable firewater system that was routed to Divisadero and Beach Street. Once the water started flowing, the fire was under control in about two hours. So the Marina District was saved, but there was still lots of damage to deal with. Gail Goldeen takes us through the days and weeks afterwards and how the earthquake permanently changed the Marina. Next morning, you know, we all woke up like farmers at, at daybreak. Yeah. Don't even want roosters. <laughs> and um, everyone sort of wandered out onto the Marina Green and the Marina Gray. And 
what happened to your house? What happened to you? All yeah. kinds of, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. And um, everyone said, the mayor's coming, the mayor's coming. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And Mayor Agnes didn't show up till around 1 o'clock. may have been noon, but 1 o'clock. And we waited like three hours for him. And, right. and everybody was really upset because nobody knew what to do. And then when he came, uh, he said, I'm setting up an adjunct mayor's office at the Marina Middle School. And they're going to be structural engineers. You sign up. And they'll come and they'll check your homes and your apartments to see if it's safe for you to stay there. And we'll tag you red, yellow, or green. And, and there will be uh, representatives from all the other utility agencies in the city to tell you what to do. And um, I don't remember if it was that afternoon that it was set up or it was the next day. Mm-hmm. On top of which, the Red Frost came around with sandwiches and water and uh, blankets for anyone that would need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were people that had to leave their homes and they had places. They, I think they, they set up in Marina Middle School, they set up a Red Cross uh, area with cots and and supplies right. for people that couldn't go back to their homes or or people went into their neighbors homes right but we we found out right away that um that that afternoon that our house was structurally sound so you got a green we got a green was and everybody talking was all the neighbors talking about uh what color they had got well you could tell because they they would put oh, it they on the outside literally of the marked house. it okay and i think most of them were green on our block okay so that we decided, um, now remember, my father lived, in fact, he lived by himself in a big house in Presidio Heights, and my husband's family lived in Presidio Heights, and they, we could have gone, all of us, uh, between those two homes. Right. But we decided that we wanted to camp out in our home because it was our neighborhood, it was our roots, it was, um, and we didn't know about looting, and we just we felt that things needed to be done, and we needed to understand what was going to happen. Right. And we wanted to be in the neighborhood. Right. So, so you didn't feel so you didn't feel unsafe then afterwards. No. Because once once the structural engineer came by, and once we saw PG and E out everywhere, and they were they were capping the gas leaks, then we felt okay. Yeah. Um, we still felt that we couldn't. We couldn't light a, a, a barbecue or anything to cook. So we had no water. We had no electricity. We had no gas. Right. We had no water for two days. That was the most difficult of all, which I didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. We had no electricity for um, probably 10 days mm-hmm. and no gas for three weeks. What was it like in the next weeks or months after the earthquake? Like, when did you feel like the marina got back to normal? It happened so gradually that you almost didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the marina uh, had a lot of reconstruction. A lot of the buildings needed to uh, be shear-walled and, and redone. And, of course, the ones that collapsed and were damaged had to be rebuilt. Yeah. And, and, and like any other... Uh, Disaster when things are rebuilt, they're they're built better and they yeah. look new and fresh. And uh, the uh, Chrissy Field was renovated. Uh, the wetlands there were brought back to life. There mm-hmm. were a lot more birds than there ever were before. Um, Chestnut Street was really dead for about a year or so. 
Um, Just because so many people, there's so like much fewer people here, I guess, exactly. living here on a day-to-day basis. There was a store called Ski Circus uh, on Laguna, and they sent out postcards every October to their clients yeah. that the new ski clothes and skis are in, and give a discount if you buy them, you know, early. And they told me that they one third of all those postcards came back. Hmm. So there were just so fewer people. Yeah. The, the apart people that lived in apartments that were damaged had to move out. Yeah. And they moved to a different part of the city. Other there were a number of people that were scared, and our friends that lived next to the fire, they left the marina for good and went to live on bedrock. Yeah, yeah. And never to come back to the marina. Yeah. The marina is just so beautiful now and has so changed, and the stores are all different, the restaurants are all different. It's very hip and contemporary, yeah. where it was very staid and had been the same for a very long time. Um, so that it's, I mean, my kids and grandkids just cannot believe that we live in an area where you just walk out the door and there's something happening all the time, and certainly yeah. every weekend. And, uh, that you just walk to Chestnut Street and you can have a good time every night. Yeah. It wasn't like that before? Well, we walked to Chestnut to go to dinner occasionally, but there were, you know, restaurants in, in 1989. And, uh, it, it wasn't a form of uh, socialization and, and entertainment as it is today. Yeah. And, uh, and you credit that change to... So many people moving out, and then like a lot of younger single people moving in. Yeah, moved in. There were new apartments, and I don't know how it came to be such a hip neighborhood. Yeah, Um, it's not the mission for sure, (laughs) (laughs) but it's 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 a lot of fun. And what else happened after the earthquake? Well, Gail got to know her neighbors better, and that's probably something all of us, including myself, should try to do. One of the things immediately that happened after the earthquake is we got to know our neighbors. Yeah. Prior to that, everybody was very private on the blocks. I don't know if this was the culture of, I think so, actually, many neighborhoods. Yeah. Many, many affluent neighborhoods, especially. Yeah. People would back out of their garages, go to work, do whatever they're going to do, come back through the garage, and you never saw people walking. Yeah, even now. I don't, I hardly know any of my neighbors. If you have a dog and walk your dog, you yeah. might meet your neighbors that have dogs. Um, so you don't know your neighbors now. I mean, I know the people in this building, and I know wow. maybe uh, one couple that lives next door. Because you have but to make an I effort. I don't know anybody else. Yeah. It, you have to make an effort. So that's what that's what Safe did. Yeah. Uh, but even because we were all experiencing this amazing thing that we had never been through before. Um, we did meet each other uh, because we spent a lot of time outside on the Marina mm-hmm. Green the morning afterwards and at every single day at Marina Middle School. And um, it really, it, it enriches your life to know your, your neighbors. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's so wonderful. When I interviewed Gail, she talked a lot about the importance of, you know, learning the history of this event and um, getting the word out there so others can learn more about the history of this event. And this way, everyone's better prepared for a future earthquake um, if, if it happens again. 
And she shared a lot of information with me, a lot of resources. And so I wanted to make sure and pass some of this on to you guys so that you can take advantage of it. First, if you want to learn more about the events that day, um, Gail actually published a book um, and her husband, Mark Goldine, um, did all the illustrations for it. And it's called Frankie and the Phoenix. And it's actually a children's book. Um, I have a copy. It's great. Um, it's perfect for any kids that want to learn more about this story. And it's, it's great for adults, too. I really enjoyed it. Um, you can get it on Amazon or you can go down to the Books, Inc. in the marina and get it there as well. She's also been working with a group on um, establishing a marina earthquake monument, uh, MEQM they call it. And this will be a monument that's down on the marina green. Um, just uh, the, the design's still underway, but it'll commemorate uh, the events from that day and just be a reminder to everybody who's you know passing along that section of marina green all the time about the events that happened. And um, you can go to their website. It's meqm.org. And uh, also on the website, there's a lot of good links to other uh, news articles and things of that nature that, uh, that, that talk about this event. In terms of being prepared, um, when I asked Gail what the most important, you know, two or three things you can do to be prepared for an earthquake are, you know, number one, have enough water and uh, food available for three days. And you should also have a backpack or some type of supply kit that has, um, you know, other important stuff in it. And I'm not going to list it all, but you can go to sf72.org. And uh, that's a whole website to um, telling you what should go in that packet and, and other things that you can do to be prepared. I've checked it out. It's a great website. If you really want to get prepared and um, maybe participate in uh, helping after an earthquake, uh, you, you can get trained with the fire department's inert program. That's the Neighborhood Emergency Response Team. And if you go to the fire department's website, sf-fire.org, and click under the program's header there, and then click on NERT. It'll give you all the information you need there, but basically that's um, just you know locals in the neighborhood who are trained to uh, um, help respond to an earthquake or, or a disaster you know, if it happens in their neighborhood. So thanks to all of my guests, um, not only Gail, but Peter McKenna and Frank Blackburn as well. Uh, they told a great story of these events you know, I knew the big picture of the event, but I had no idea about the story of the fireboat, the portable water system, and just how close we came to losing the marina. I want to make sure and give a plug for uh, Peter McKenna's book. I told you he was a writer earlier. Um, he has a book called Rebel Gray Mountain Green. Um, it's a novel based on the Confederate raid on St. Albans, Vermont in 1864. And again, that's Rebel Gray Mountain Green, and you can buy that on Amazon. Um, it looks like a really interesting book as well. So thanks again to everybody for listening. If you have feedback or an idea for a future show, send me an email. It's frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at sfpeoplepodcast. And uh, please leave a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. That will really help us get the word out to more people. We'll be back in a few weeks. Until then, I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People. <music>